Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. <laughs> Tommy, Ocean Chinook or Puget Sound Coho, what is your palate favorite? And you drop yeah. that kokanee on top of that barn door halibut's head, 67 feet of water, and he was not happy about that. Well, I don't know. What do you think? Boxers or briefs? Ooh, I'm going to have to go with a European cut speedo. Fantastic. Excellent choice. I yeah. love tuna. I do love tuna. Heck yeah! <laughs> hey, you know, I have a buddy who refers to Canadian geese as flying carp. Obviously, he's not cooking them. <laughs> he clearly, right? Oh, ocean snook. Seriously? Hands down. Really? Hands down. I don't fish for coho. Ah, good point. Hey, speaking of grind, can you tell the difference between ground deer and ground elk? Honestly, taste the difference. You know, Dwayne, we only get one chance to live this life. Mm-hmm. And you will always regret the things that you don't do. So you know what I tell people? Buy the damn boat. Hey, you know, the facts are some days are just a grind. Welcome to Fish Hunt Northwest, the number one fishing and hunting talk show throughout the Pacific Northwest and beyond. Now here's your host, Dwayne England, and of course, the infamous Tommy Donlan. Hello and welcome to Fish Hunt Northwest, Dwayne England, coming to you from the Fish Hunt Northwest studios here on Summit Lake in Olympia, Washington. Coming to you by myself tonight, Tommy has the night off. So unfortunately, fortunately, you're stuck with me, but I'm pretty sure we're going to get through it. As per usual, we have a lot of great content to get through, lots of uh, openings coming up, believe it or not, a little bit of weather weather to contend with, uh, weather to talk about, and a number of things to, uh, to get through, steelhead conversations, the whole thing. So uh, stay tuned throughout the entire show because we have really a good amount of information coming tonight. If you're tuning in with us here at Root Sports for the first time, we'd like to remind everybody, hey, take a little time, check out all our social media platforms. Go to Facebook, give us a like and follow. Jump on over to our YouTube channel, subscribe, so you never miss any of the content. And yes, go to our webpage, www.fishhuntnw.com. There you're going to find a, uh, a number of great pieces of content, blogs, recipes, more videos, how-tos, and of course, the FHN20 coupon, which when you click on the coupon, is going to take you directly to the Edge Rods website. All Edge Rods through FHN, 20% off all the time. So uh, with that, we have a number of things going on. Um, WDFW has announced uh, two additional Coastal Steelhead virtual town halls. Those will be on November 10th and 28th. Uh, as they progress through the negotiations or discussions about coastal steelheads. So you do want to be involved with those. The public is invited to join in on the town halls uh, from their website with expectations of yet another low wild steelhead abundance. We continue to explore how we can implement fisheries the most responsible way. This includes considering new proposals from the public that balance our conservation goals and provide fishing opportunity. I really want to encourage the public to be involved. So November 10th and the 28th, uh, check it all out on the WDFW website and get involved on that. And I have more information on that coming on later in the show. You're going to want to listen to what what we have to talk about in regards to that. Also, uh, hey, if you missed it, November 1st, 
the winter blackmouth fishery opened up in area 11. So that is now open from November 1st through December 31st, if we can make it that far. Sundays through Wednesdays are the days you are allowed to be on the water targeting Chinook. Now, Area 11 has also just recently opened for chum salmon. So you are allowed to keep two fish now with chum uh, being available. Only one in your bag limit can be a hatchery Chinook. And again, you're fishing Wednesday, Sundays through Wednesdays for winter blackmouth. It's also open for chum. The, um, the intent of getting through December 31st, that's going to be a tough one as we have a total encounter limit of only 1,093 fish. We have an unmarked encounter limit of 256 fish and sublegal encounter of 732 fish. So I don't see this fishery making it all the way to December 31st, but I guess we'll give it a go. I uh, also want to remind everybody, hey, just announced there is um, uh, the chum opportunity now happening in Area 13. Area 13 is opening up for chum as well, which is nice to see. So many chum coming back to South Sound, finally. So Area 13 will be opening. Look for that. Uh, also announced that the clam digs that were slated for November 6th through the 13th have been postponed due to demonic acid levels. Acid levels have exceeded safe toxin uh, levels. So those clam digs, if you plan to go dig clams on our Washington beaches, the 6th through the 13th, it's, uh, it's not happening. <clears throat> those have been postponed. So, all right, with that, running down the show, lots of good content to get through. Uh, tonight, Robert Kratzer, Angler's Guide Service, uh, Angler's Guide Service to discuss this season's steelhead opportunity and will we actually have a season and or opportunity. Uh, then, of course, we're back in the bait lab rigging for bobber and eggs. Uh, bobber and egg fishing, I should say, keeping it simple and efficient. I'm going to walk you through some real basics to keep you very effective on the water. FHN Quick Tip, the how to add a weed grabber to your presentation. That kind of blew up on us last week um, after that had aired. And now folks are inquiring as to how to actually build that or incorporate that into your gear. And then a few words closing out on the South Coast Steelhead options. My takeaways from the first WDFW Virtual Town Hall and uh, my thoughts as we can hopefully help craft a season moving forward. So lots of content to get through. Appreciate everybody signing on here this evening. Got a heck of a show lined up. Don't go anywhere. Going to jump out for a quick break. We come back. Uh, Bobby Kratzer, Robert Kratzer, English Guide Service, and we'll start talking about North Coast Steelhead options for 2022-2023. We'll be back after this break right here at Fish on Northwest. Defiance Marine is the one-stop shop for the Pacific Northwest Angler. Defiance Marine guarantees the best price on a new and best service on a repower for your current boat. Defiance Marine is a Honda Premier dealership and one of the largest on the West Coast. Defiance Marine is a boat dealer who proudly sells Defiance, Allied, and Arima boats. All boats are built by West Coast fishermen for West Coast fishermen. Defiance Marine has all your boating needs to help you get out on the water. If you're looking for the best fishing rods in the world, you really do need to take a look at the edge rods. I designed and built new machinery, and I think this new machinery has enabled us to build blanks like no other company can build without this equipment. There is no other rods in the world that are as good as these rods. You owe it to yourself to take a good look at them. Welcome back, Fish on Northwest. Wayne England here in studio, flying solo tonight, but no, no big deal. We have uh, we got a great segment lined up here. Uh, Robert Kratzer, Bobby, as I like to call him, Robert Kratzer, Angler's Guide Service, and we're going to walk through this process of um, 
getting through the coastal steelhead and see if we can't uh, make heads or tails of it here. So, uh, Bobby, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much, Dwayne. Glad to glad to join you tonight. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. So, before I get too far along, I want to remind folks uh, you got a few things going on. So, Washington State Guide Association Vice President, uh, Olympic Olympic Peninsula Guides Association Board Member, Northwest Olympic Peninsula Sports Fishing Coalition President, and WDFW Guide Advisory Committee, and of course. Uh, WDFW Coastal Steelhead Advisory Committee. You got a few things going on. I don't know when you have time to fish, but uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> so anyway, um, hey, WDFW hosted the first of three virtual town halls as they work towards crafting uh, potential seasons here. What are some of the options being discussed out there for opportunity on the North Coast? Oh boy, um, not a, I mean, there's a lot being discussed by anglers as to what those options might be and what we could look at. Most of us are a little bit, um, I, I would say, confused a little bit, for, particularly with the Quileute system, based on the numbers that they've provided in the town hall meeting and basically based on the Bentley study that they're using. Uh, most of us are perplexed in the fact that why are we even nothing other than an open season on the Quileute system. Gotcha. <clears throat> you know, we this should have an open season based on their numbers and based on what our catch rates are. We should have a season on the Quileute. Um, I don't think we're going to. I think we're still going to have a, a an either complete bank fishing only season. We may get a little bit of Kalawa boat access. I'm perplexed on whether we're going to get anything on the bogey shield just because they were a little concerned last year that we didn't we're not meeting our escapement in the bogey shield as well hmm. so, and so, so i think I was gonna they're say, a little sounds like really limited entry opportunity again and you're talking about putting folks on the bank again do you think it's justified to keep us out of boats targeting steelhead i mean we're precluding a whole host of folks and different groups that don't have access to the water because we not everybody can bank fish no, 100% correct. No, I think we're we're not doing the sport fishing any good. And I don't think we're, I mean, they, they haven't proven to me yet that we're actually helping the steelhead population as much as might, they might want to think they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm more of that. However, you know, by looking at their numbers and looking at if you look at the entire coastal steelhead population, and there are places where the numbers are depressed and things that we probably need to be aware of. So I'm a little more conservation based. And so I would say, you know, as opposed to just fighting for, you know, full boat fishing on the Quileute system or whatever, I'm okay with a subset of rules. Maybe, um, you know, bogus shields, um, because they're a little worried about escapement, I would say I'm proposing that we do a boat fishing from the hatchery down. Okay. And leave, leaving above the hatchery. No fishing from a floating device. Uh, no fishing from a floating device above 101 on the Kalawa, but from 101 down on the Kalawa, you can fish from your boat. And then on the Solduck, which is, you know, the kind of the bread and butter fishery on the entire peninsula, really. I mean, with the healthiest stock of fish, um, even though I feel like we should be able to fish from our boat in the entire river, I would be happy if they gave us boat fishing from Maxfield down 
for the season and left the upper river to no fishing from a boat. That kind of addresses their concerns yeah. about conservation, right. but still allows us to have some, um, you know, I go into those meetings with kind of a more of a, you know, how do we meet in the middle deal, right? Yeah. Where, where do we meet in the middle? You know, let's not go all one way and let's not go all the other, but where do we meet in the middle and still kind of address your conservation concerns, but still providing us with fisheries? Um, and those, so those, those are one. And then I gave the hoe a, um, you know, one-on-one down on the hoe for January and February from a boat. And above that, no fishing from a boat. And then at the month of March, no fishing from a boat mm. at all. Um, there again, not what I personally feel is the right move. However, it is a move that would allow us to have act, you know, access to the water through, with our boats, but also address their conservation concerns. Gotcha. Hey, we only got you a, know? we only got a little bit of time left here. This goes by awful quick. But uh, before yep. we go, did you experience a tremendous or a subtle effort shift out there on the North Coast last year with the implementation of those rules? I would say it was a, a subtle effort shift. Okay. There, there were a handful of guides that came up from the, uh, you know, southern Shahila system, those systems down there. There was a few that came up and fished. Most of them spent most of their time on the hoe. There was very little activity from them in the Kuliut system. Right. And so I'm not as concerned about the effort shift as the department appears to be. Okay. Well, hey, we never have enough time. You barely scratched the service, gave us a good indication, though, of some of the ideas that are being tossed around and some of the great information being provided by you to the department during these virtual town halls and trying to rally folks to attend the meetings and all get on board here so we can, you know, try to try to salvage whatever uh, seasons we can. So uh, I'll see you on the town halls. We'll be in communication. We'll try to see if we can't, uh, you know, get something going on both the north and south coast and enjoy some form of a steelhead season. So thank you very much, Bobby. Always good to have you on. Yep. Thank you much, Dwayne. You guys have a great night. Will do. Thanks. All right, uh -huh. Robert Kratzer, Angler's Guide Service, www.anglersguideservice.com uh, when looking him up to book a trip. All right, we're going to jump out for a quick break. We come back. going to be in the bait lab for a bobber and egg, bobber and bait tutorial, a how-to, kind of streamline it for you, get you to be efficient and effective on the river. Don't go anywhere. A couple-minute break. We'll be back right here, Fish on Northwest. Allied the new leader in heavy gauge aluminum boats. Allied boats have standard reverse chine and lifting rakes to help you plane faster and run at lower RPMs. Allied boats have several models to choose from, ranging from a 19-foot Mustang all the way up to a 32-foot Liberator. So regardless of what type of heavy gauge aluminum boats you are looking for, Allied boats will have it for you. Contact Allied boats today to learn more about these incredible fishing machines. Hi, this is Joe and Megan from Archery World. Uh, we have four store locations. We are at the Lacey location right now. I uh, just want to highlight some of our camping gear. We have uh, Mystery Ranch packs. We have crispy boots. We have six-hour optics. We carry Havilon knives. We carry Garmin products as well. So it's not just archery. We want to try to make this one-stop shopping for you guys. And so if you need it and it puts you in the outdoors, we probably have it. So come down and see us. Hey, welcome back to Fish on Northwest. We're here in the Bay Lab. I want to remind you, all Bay Lab presentations and our how-tos are brought to you by Max Lure. 
and of course Sportco and Outdoor Emporium. So on the table before me is a whole lot of gear. We got a couple of topics to get through this evening. First and foremost, we're going to talk about uh, bobber and egg fishing, bobber and bait fishing in a vertical presentation suspended. Okay, let's start with the rod. This is my 1065 uh, from uh, Edge. This is my STR 1065. It's a 10 and a half foot rod, 10 to 20 pound line rating. I use this thing all year long, spring Chinook, fall salmon. Today was a, uh, the target was coho, but ended up putting about 12 or 15 chum on the bank. This rod will get that done all day long. So the 1065 is a phenomenal rod. Uh, that I really, really have enjoyed. Low profile reel, Abel Garcia makes really good reels in my opinion. This is a Revo Beast, 22 pound drag, uh, spooled up with 50 pound braid. You can really put the pressure to these fish and get them under control in a timely fashion. So don't skimp on the braid, make sure you have a large enough diameter that it doesn't get buried down the spool when you, uh, when you get hung up. So that terminates at a top shot of monofilament. I like to use 25 pound tests. Uh, this time of year, make sure that I have you know, plenty of strength, about 15 feet of top shot that uh, my terminal gear does all the work on. I start off with, I have a uh, rubber bobber stop that I slide onto the mono. These rubber bobber stops grab very, very well and uh, stay in place uh, pretty good on that mono. I always put an indicator at the top of my float so I can see when my float is maxed out. This is a cheater that I can see, color contrast, easy to see when it's a distance away from me that I know my float has maxed out. Uh, inline float, I like to use the one ounce floats. I couple that with a 5 8 uh, inline sinker that I'll show you here. So the float goes on. Then we're putting on a five or six millimeter bead to protect the knot on my sinker. I also put an egg stop, uh, rubber stop below the bead. In the event that I break this weight off, typically I'm not gonna lose my float and uh, a gear above it. So um, inline sinker, I don't like to hang cannonballs and things off to the side. I like everything to be vertical, nice straight up and down. That's why they're designed this way. Swiveled at both ends so that things don't spin up or get twisted. Now, here's what I've noticed on the river as of late. I typically fish 25 pound test, uh, ultra green and about a 20 to 24 inch leader max, okay? Now I'm watching guys fishing three, four foot leaders below their float. You don't need to do that. These fish are not line shy. You need to have your terminal gear set up for success. 20 to 24 inch leader is all you need. The other thing guys you're not doing out there is putting a midpoint weight on your presentation. Midpoint weight is uh, critical because when you cure up eggs and they take on salts and chemicals and whatnot, they get to the point where they're neutral buoyant. So if your float is up here and your leader drops down, um, you know, say three, four feet, those eggs in a neutral buoyant um, location are not fishing as deep as you think they are. So shorten up your leaders and put on a midpoint weight. Now crimping on split shot can put a crimp into your line. So I would uh, strongly urge you not to do that. I like to use a one eighth hollow core lead. I cut off about a one inch piece. It's gonna weigh just a little less than an eighth of an ounce. I put a bobber stop down there at the midpoint that that weight slides onto and then that just hangs right above the hooks. Legally, you are okay putting a weight one foot above your hooks. So that there puts no pressure on the line and it works very well. Dual hook setup, three-aught in a one-aught stinger about a finger's distance apart with an egg loop. And you know, when it comes to fish and bait, uh, always use 
a bait box. Stop walking back and forth to the shore to put bait onto your hook. If you get a bait box, secure some scissors into the top of it or somewhere on it that makes it available for you to cut bait uh, to whatever size you need. Maybe you want a little smaller presentation due to clarity of water. Maybe you want a bigger chunk of bait due to dirtiness of water and or you're going after Chinook versus Coho. You cut off a chunk, you put it right here in the egg loop. Don't need to multi-wrap, don't need to half hitch, don't need to do none of that. You know what? Good eggs don't last long if they're getting bit. I just put it right there in the egg loop, snug it up, and with good durable bait that you cure up, those are gonna fish just fine. And we're fishing that suspended off the bottom. I do not want this dragging. I want it about a foot or two off the bottom. Vertical presentation. Shorten up your leaders. Make sure you have a midpoint weight to get your bait down. Utilize bait boxes to keep from having to walk back and forth to your containers on the shoreline. And also pack some Atlas Mike's oil options with you because each individual bait at any given time, a couple drops of a different scent, may be the difference in triggering a bite, whether it's the tuna or the sand shrimp or the crayfish, whatever it is they want that particular day. If all my eggs smell the same and I'm not getting bit, I'm not gonna get bit. Change it up a drop at a time and you're probably gonna find success. All right, that was down and dirty. Got it done fast out here in the Bay Lab. Jump out for a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We come back. We're going to still be here. We got the FHN Quick Tip of the Week after this break right here at Fish on Northwest. New days. New beginnings. New friends. New loves. New dreams. New goals. New scenery. New job. No matter what the next chapter holds, Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate will be there to help you find the new that's right for your lifestyle at any stage of your life. Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate. Expect better. Sportco and Outdoor Emporium is the largest local outfitter in the Northwest since 1975, providing thousands of people affordable outdoor gear. This summer, make your next outdoor adventure more affordable by shopping at our warehouse-style pricing. We are a local Scotty dealer, offering sales, service, and repair. Located in Fife and Seattle, come visit us today. The outdoors await you. Hey, welcome back to Fish on Northwest. We are still here in the Bay Lab because we have this week's FHN Quick Tip coming to you actually from the Bay Lab. So a couple weeks ago, we aired an episode. We were out fishing marine water uh, for coho. In our terminal tackle, I incorporated this little contraption right here, which I refer to as the weed grabber. So a little barbecue skewer and a number three swivel, size three swivel in line on my terminal tackle. And the emails blew up. You guys hit us with a lot of messages on Messenger and the phone actually rang multiple times. Folks are very curious on to utilize this out there in your marine fishery. So pretty straightforward. That's what it looks like when it's done. Well, how do you build it? So here is my braided line to my uh, lead rod for my lead rod fisheries and or you can use it for downrigger as well. First thing that goes on is of course a five or six millimeter bead. That's going to protect my guide from the swivel that I put on here. Now this number three swivel we simply thread on and back through the other eye. And that's really all it is. It just lays right straight on through. Slide that on up, okay? And now for me, because I like to utilize the, uh, the VIP sliding lock for my dropper, I'm gonna go ahead and put that on here. So the sliding lock goes into place on my braid. 
just like that. Now I can put on my terminal lock. Ball bearing swivel, dual lock. I like heavy duty. We're out there fishing marine area. It takes a lot of abuse. And um, you want to make sure you're fishing durable gear. So we're going to do our typical seven wraps here and kind of lace that on through. I think that was seven. Okay. Pull that on through just like this. Okay. Grab your pliers, not your teeth. Since that up. All right. So basically, that is that gear in place. Now, I got my dropper on my slider, and then I'm just going to clip my bumper onto my dual lock, okay? So that's essentially the rigging right there. So what I have in place is my swivel above where my tackle terminates, okay? All I have to do on the upper side of this is pull the line down to the bottom of your swivel and take your barbecue skewer that you've trimmed down to about three inches, three to four inches, and that's what you're doing. You're fishing that thing right in there. Top or bottom, it doesn't matter. The bead's gonna protect your guide, and it slides, it slides as it grabs weeds. Um, you can, I fish that thing about three feet above my terminal tackle. As it collects weeds, it may move down a little bit, but typically not. It just stays in place. When you do hook a fish, you can reel right down against that bead and crank it right down to push that all the way down to your terminal tackle so you can lift and net your fish. So sliding works very well. You absolutely want it to slide. And that is this week's FHN Quick Tip. How you make the weed grabber, it's just that simple. I want to thank you for tuning in uh, here on Root Sports. We are pretty much uh, done with the first half of the show. Um, if you're viewing this evening, live stream, don't go anywhere. we got the second half of the show coming up right after this break. Hi, we're Joe and Megan Malico, owners of Archery World up here in Lacey. We're a full pro shop, so we have a full pro service also. We have a huge indoor range. Uh, we carry 11 bow lines, all the major bow lines, and then there's subsidiary uh, companies too. Like if we carry Bowtech, we carry Diamond. If we carry Matthews, we carry Mission. When you come in, we're going to ask you, uh, you know, what kind of price point you're looking for. Um, you know, what's your hope, what's your goals, what's your scope. And with that information in mind, we'll point you in the direction of, uh, you know, that price point goes. And then maybe give you uh, the option to test fire, maybe a higher level bow, just so you can compare. But um, it really is all about... Uh, getting what it is that's going to work for you. We don't upsell anyone. They shoot it, they like it, they don't like it, they don't get it. We don't, we don't operate like that. And so if you need it and you're, it puts you in the outdoors, we probably have it. So come down and see us. All right, welcome back in studio here as we wind it down, have a few things to cover. Uh, folks are commenting, hey, how about split shot on your leader? Yeah, you can do that, and a lot of folks do. I just steered away from that years ago simply because of crimping on the leader. I don't want to put any type of uh, premature failure point on my leader. That sliding lead, low profile, does a really nice job. So a um, couple things to make mention of. We had Alex Mozlov in here last week. He talked about the pro shop opening down there at Edge Rods the 10th, 11th, and 12th of next week. Uh, Fish Hunt Northwest is going to be there. 
We're going to have a number of our swag items and basically a meet and greet, kind of hang out for the three days of the grand opening and take it all in and uh, have a lot of clothing items, hats and whatnot to sell. Shing's going to be there. I'll be there. Uh, we are bringing the trailer full of stuff. So if you are looking to get some FHN swag and not have to uh, cover any shipping costs or whatnot, come on down to see us. You should come down to the Edge Pro Shop anyway and check it out. It's going to be a fantastic uh, opportunity to get in there and get some really great high-quality gear at really great prices. Hope to see you there 10, 11, 12. So um, we had Bobby Kratzer on earlier and just did not have much time to get into the weeds on this coastal steelhead stuff. He named a number of options that they're looking at for that north coast and it sounds like very, very limited opportunity. And I got to tell you, this south coast, this Grays Harbor region is kind of under the microscope as well. We have some conservation concerns about meeting escapement on the upper Chehalis watershed. And I, uh, I paid attention, well, they had the meeting last week during Thursday, so I had to catch up on it later, but I watched it multiple times, and my takeaways on it I want to discuss here tonight. A few different slides that I pulled from the presentation to uh, cuss and discuss and take a look at some opportunity. Um, it's, been very, it's been made very apparent. We have a concern for conservation, as I mentioned, on the upper Chehalis system or that portion of the watershed overall. Now, there's a lot of tributaries that feed into the main stem Chehalis, and it's all aggregated together. So, uh, you know, to split out into tributaries, I think, is key here when we're talking about opportunity or no opportunity. Last year, they shut the entire system down because of the concerns on the Chehalis system, i.e. the upper Chehalis portion of the system, okay? And a few tributaries that have some concern as well. But the ones I'm going to speak of this evening, as we look at uh, the first slide here under distribution and diversity, we can see, see the example there, the Wainucci Satsup and the Skookumchuk are performing uh, pretty constant, okay? There's, there's actually some, some uh, consistency in those rivers. It may be hard to see on here, but you can look this up later on. You're gonna see that where I've circled there, especially the last three years, even four and five years, um, they were performing well, and they had um, uh, tapered off just a little bit as the last three years came together. But uh, with that, the Wainucci there is uh, dropping just a bit, but that SASUP's been holding pretty consistent. And I, I had information provided me that the Skookumchuk may have received upwards of 3,500 to 5,000 hatchery steel hit last year that nobody got to fish for. So I get it, we're focused on that upper Chehalis component of those wild fish meaning escapement, and we're also trying to curtail the impact that we would have on those fish. But I'm talking about getting to these upper tributaries where we have a different strain of wild fish that are making their way into those systems. And for the most part, those rivers, according to those graphs, have been holding very close to consistent the last three years or so. Um, something else I want to take a look at is uh, display of crossover in the early abundance of hatchery fish that is uh, then a steep decline or the uptick of the wild fish. So as we look at this graph, circled in the red is your crossover point. So this is, again, for the entire basin. Under distribution diversity, you have a, a big swing of uptick here uh, beginning mid-November, end of November into December, and goes all the way to about mid-February. We have you know, it peaking about uh, the beginning of January. Middle of January, we have a high output of hatchery fish coming in, and then it slowly starts to drop. And of course, the wild fish begin to show up in a little more uh, higher numbers as we move along. And so there's a there's a there's a threshold there. There's a crossover point where 
um, we are fishing on more wild fish than hatchery fish, and that's the one we need to be mindful of. But that early opportunity, that high uptick of hatchery fish that we did not have an option on last year in this Grace Harbor region, um, is one that needs to be considered, especially into these tributaries. Again, Satsup, Wainuchi, those wild fish are maintaining, uh, and we have a good amount of hatchery fish that come into those systems earlier in the season, December, January. We can fish those into mid-February and have very little impact, for the most part, on our wild fish. So um, I've asked for the data, that crossover uh, graphic, as it pertains specific to each tributary, uh, WDFW does not have that. It would be interesting to see what that uh, uptick of hatchery fish, fish versus the wild fish entering into those tributaries, what that time frame is. But, um, you know, it's, um, it's uh, put out there as an entire uh, system. So they don't have the data to support each individual tributary like that. It's very uh, tasking to get that type of information. Hopefully they're working on that in the future because I think it's important that we look at this by uh, tributaries um, separated out from the overall uh, picture here. So in conserving the upper fish or the upper Chehalis wild fish, the main focus would be to go after these hatchery fish in the Satsup, in the Wainuchi, in the Skookumchuk, um, if the numbers would allow us to do so. The impacts on that upper Chehalis system is going to be nil. So we have an issue with us uh, coming into this, they've put a number out there. We are 17% under escapement need on uh, slide three there, Jordan. 17% under escapement need for the upper Chehalis. Now it says Chehalis, but we're talking again about the upper Chehalis. So 17%, and we can't exceed an impact of, I believe it's uh, 200 fish or 197 or something within the main stem of the Chehalis or the overall system. Well, I look at what the goal is to get those fish up into the upper Chehalis. And without any recreational opportunity on the main stem Chehalis, we're gonna have little to no impact on those upper fish, okay? So what would preclude us from, what would preclude us from having an opportunity on these tributaries? Well, uh, there's a couple things. One, we might be fearful, or WDFW might be fearful of dip-ins into those lower portions of those tributaries that have tidal influence. Well, for me, I go, well, let's just put in a, a uh, boundary. Let's put in, so the Satsa, for example, open from Schaefer down to the highway bridges. You get down below in that lower part of the, the system on the Satsa and the Wainuchi, you have tidal influence. So you may get some dip-ins coming off of the Chehalis, and then they're going to go back out and hopefully find their way upriver. So if we're fearful of dip-ins and want to lessen the encounter rates on some of those wild fish, Let's just have a boundary that denotes you can't fish below a certain point. Um, but as it would go, if you are crafting seasons for recreational opportunity within a basin, the co-managers also would want to be at the table to have conversations on opportunity as well. And um, that's doable. Uh, if we're going to be up in the upper tribs targeting those fish specifically, the, uh, the co-managers are probably going to uh, come to the table with looking for an opportunity, especially in December. The encounter rate, and I, I've asked for these numbers and they have yet to provide them, whether they have them from the co-managers or not. What's the impact in the encounter rate of wild fish in those gill nets in the lower stem Chehalis during the month of December? Now, if that number is extremely low, then our ability to encounter some of those hatchery fish with the conducted gill net fisheries um, and have very little impact on those wild fish should be achievable. 
And so if we're talking about a quota base or an impact base of say 200 fish or just less thereof, then the co-managers in agreement at the table, everybody coming together to talk about conservation and how we get enough fish to the upper Chehalis uh, system and some of those upper tributaries, um, then the handwriting's on the wall. Like we can conduct a commercial fishery in the Chehalis if everybody's in agreement too, but once we hit that impact threshold, once we're up against that 150, 200 fish, whatever it is, once they've taken those out of the system with their uh, targeted hatchery fish, then done fishing, okay? I know typically we're quota-based and or we have seasons set. Typically the uh, co-managers set seasons to conduct their fisheries through a certain amount of days per week through a certain time frame in the year. But this is one of those areas that falls under more extreme conservation than just setting a date, a target date, and fishing until we hit the target date. If we're catching an abundance of fish, it's because the run's overperforming. And if we're catching not as many as anticipated, it's because the run is underperforming. And we've listened to these conversations for years. My, uh, my takeaway on this is, look, we have opportunity on hatchery fish in upper tributaries that would not impact the upper Chehalis watershed. And thereby, for us to have the opportunity to go after those fish, if the co-managers feel inclined to target some of the fish in the Chehalis system, because uh, it's their right, not that we all agree with gill netting, but it is their right, and it's how they conduct business, then their impact or their um, interference that's ran to preclude those wild fish from making it all the way up. Once they hit that impact number, then they should be done fishing. So I think there's some room here for us to uh, find common ground really discuss some opportunity here in the south uh, south coast region and have access to some of these fish in these other tributaries. First of all, we have an agreed to fishery to target one hatchery coho through the month of December on most of the tributaries I've mentioned and a few more. So we already have it on the table to go after hatchery coho. We know they're gonna be in there. And if we're not grabbing those hatchery coho and we're not getting in on those early hatchery steelhead because we're not allowed. It just puts more fodder on the table for these wild fish conservancy groups to come to WDFW and say, hey, you need to stop producing hatchery fish because you're not even fishing for them and we're taking too big a risk of finding too many hatchery fish on the gravel. So it just gives them more, more fire at the table to come and uh, you know try to once again slap lawsuits against WDFW, come after them in the courts to minimize or completely do away with these hatchery programs that we need to sustain these fisheries. First of all, it has yet to be proven in a number of these rivers where we remove hatchery production that the wild fish are coming back. The one huge component that I do not hear any conversations happening in and around is predation. The squaw fish in the Grays Harbor region are completely out of control. Okay, the, the pike minnow. Um, the, uh, the numbers in the Chehalis, the numbers in the tributaries of the pike minnow are completely out of control. Haven't even had a discussion about it. Don't even know if it's being, uh, you know, entering into the conversation. More seals and sea lions this year in the Chehalis than I've ever seen in this early uh, salmon opportunity. And of course, the bird predation is prevalent in everywhere. And yet there's no discussions really happening uh, in that regard, if there is, I would like to see some information coming out about that. But before we start Xing out 
the recreational angler's opportunity to go and target hatchery fish when conducive to do so, uh, I would like to see more discussions relevant to the predation issues that are minimizing the survivability of both hatchery and wild fish. Because I'm telling you, if all we do is remove the hatchery fish out of the component, and now all this predation that goes unchecked, all they have left to feed on is wild fish. How do we think our wild fish number is going to increase when the predation is all focused now solely on wild fish. It just makes absolutely no sense. So I think there's a workaround here. I think we have some opportunity on some of these tributaries. This is some of the information I'm going to present to James Losey and staff uh, through the next couple meetings and via emails. I encourage all of you to get on to the WDFW website, look up the time dates and the, um, the town hall uh, virtual meetings that are slated and uh, get involved. Go to their YouTube channel, watch the previous presentation if you missed it, and, and see what your takeaways are on some of these opportunities. I think if, uh, if we just sit idle and don't bring up some options or opportunities for WDFW to pay attention to, then everything's just gonna be off the table and we'll end up with no fisheries once again. So, kind of some thoughts I've put together. That's where I'm at, whether I'm right or wrong. If WDFW wants to come back to, uh, to me and say, this is completely absurd, you don't even know what you're talking about, okay, great. But this is my takeaway from just viewing what I'm seeing and what we didn't get to do last year, okay? So, pretty much, uh, you know, that's a no-go for me to just remove all fisheries, all opportunities, and of course, pull back the coho opportunity that we already have on the table. So just a few thoughts. Uh, hopefully you can take and make sense some of that information and get online, check it out for yourself. So, um, all right, that's gonna pretty much do it for us here this week. Hopefully Tommy's back next week. Uh, we'll see how that's all going. Um, we are gonna be down there at uh, Edge Rods once again. The Pro Shop Grand Opening, 10, 11, 12. That's Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Come on down there and see us. And uh, boy, this weather that's setting in right now, Blowing the rivers out over the next couple days is going to be about midweek when things get on the drop and we're back to fishing. So today was a pretty good day, as I mentioned earlier, targeting coho, put a number of chum on the bank, which was always a good time. Uh, still plenty of coho to get to through the month of November. Get those plugs ready. These rivers are going to drop once again. It's time to get those drift boats and, and pontoons out there, chase them with some plugs, do some twitch and throw some spinners. And of course, the bobber and eggs continue to work all the way through the season. So, all right. Uh, stay dry through the weekend, find something to do. Look forward to next week, getting out on the water and post your pictures here with us at Fish Hunt NW on Facebook. Have a great uh, rest of your week into the weekend, folks. We'll see you next Thursday right here at Fish Hunt Northwest. Hey, thanks for joining us here on the Fish Hunt Northwest weekly podcast. I want to remind everyone that you can catch our weekly live stream show on our Facebook page and, of course, our YouTube channel every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. West Coast time. You'll get our insightful in-studio interviews, our extremely detailed how-to segments in the bait lab, the infield segments we bring to you when we're on the water or in the woods, and, of course, our amazing cooking recipes in the kitchen with co-host Sherry England and chef Jeff Maxfield. Give us a follow on our Facebook page at Fish Hunt Northwest. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fish Hunt NW. Find us on Twitter and Instagram. And finally, go to our webpage at www.fishhuntnw.com for all the latest and greatest info. Join us each week here on our podcast. Join us each week at our live production. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.